Welcome to Moving the Rock. Whether sales is all you do or only part of what you do, the strategies and tactics of success can often feel split between two realities. You can become someone you're not to earn the recognition and praise of people you don't respect, or you can try to figure it out on your own, knowing you'll underperform your potential. We're here to offer a third way. The idea that you can't have success without compromise is just wrong. You don't have to compromise to win in the long term. You can play the game in such a way that you win in the short term and the long term. Through our hard lessons learned, we can shift your way of thinking and create a better way. I'm Chris, founder of SightShift. And I'm James, founder of Florist Group. If you're tired of the status quo, we're here to help you move the rock on your career, your business, and your life. Welcome. So Chris, we've come a long way. Um, something I want to lay on you f- for a minute here for us to think about. Um, the decision to buy, right? We've talked a lot about sales and selling, but the question today is ultimately, what is the decision to buy based upon for our clients? And as salespeople, if we don't have this in mind, then we truly don't have our ultimate goal in mind. And if we don't have our ultimate goal in mind, how can we possibly uh, do the best do the best job that we can in leading our clients to change? Mm. When you think about that, when you think about this idea of what the decision to buy is ultimately based upon, what does that bring up for you? What well, I think it is so important about the process that you take people through in the wins model because it gets it out of what I think is the probably beginning point for a lot of people in buying, which is mimetic desire. Philosopher Rene Girard talked about this idea that, you know, we all want what we want because we see somebody else having it, which totally lines up with the research on adult development by Robert Keegan, which is, I don't know who I am. So you tell me what to buy so I can belong. And, <laughs> right. uh, you know, it's it's just really wild. And that's why the pause process to get people to consider, are you interacting with people who are zeroed in on the results that they want and why they want it? Absolutely. That's why this process won't be hard or threatening to them, but they'll love it. But if they don't, this process won't always be easy because they're having to di- dig deeper into that reality. So I think at a starting level, it's just acknowledging that there is a lot of that that happens. And then for some people, they're coming into it going, hey, I asked around, I want this result, and I heard you can help me get it. Right, right. Well, way easier conversation. <laughs> right, right. Well, it is, I think it's it's critical, right? So everything you said is is spot on and it's perfect. And so as salespeople, we really have to have that bigger picture in mind, right? So even though we may be selling to a business or to a company, and we may have this logical construct inside our heads, or at least it's logical to us. We have to walk into um, the buying cycle, understanding that our beliefs are necessarily our clients' beliefs. And one of the ways that we can simplify the process of moving a company or an organization to change is by thinking about the buying center. Right. Think about all the all the people inside that organization and the role that they play, each of them, in making that successful buying decision uh, in the name of and for that organization. 
And as long as we keep in mind that the decision to buy is ultimately based upon each buyer's belief in what is or is not in his or her own best interest, then we have a North Star that we can focus on. Every conversation we have with an individual or with a group of individuals can be designed to determine first what is or is not in their own best interest based on their core beliefs. And if those beliefs aren't aligned with what they tell you they want or what you know what they're being measured against, et cetera, then that's an opportunity for us to deliver some value. And it's also an opportunity for us to create some alignment so that there is a direct path between where they are and where they want to be with your solution being that um, representing the path between those two points. Oh man, let's, let's get weird and poetic with it because I think what you're saying is so critical. It actually took me back to a song that people <laughs> didn't hear that I played at the beginning of our meeting today because we're both Pearl Jam fans. Unthought Known Song is what it's called. And he says, see the path cut by the moon for you to walk on. And it's this idea that we're not there to tell people how to see the world. We right. are there to help them to see the world how they need to see it, how they want to see it. We're not telling them who to be. We're not telling them what to want, you know, and you're awesome at this and interacting with me because you'll have something cooking up in you, but you'll still ask questions like, is Chris even ready to hear this? Does he even want to hear it? Right. And that's this idea. You're taking the buyer through this process because, uh, you know, when we've hit this in other episodes, the shadows, the misalignment, all of that is a waste of their time and your time. We don't want to waste any time. Uh, we don't want to waste any time. Uh, and we also don't want to uh, create defensiveness or create a barrier to the connection that we want to establish with our client. Yeah. Uh, when I was selling in the 90s, right, in high tech, and we were selling big enterprise programs on a global basis, we would run into competition. And our clients would tell us that our competition was very arrogant. So mm -hmm. a big, you know, think of a big brand, um, and a, a big brand that has a near monopoly, right? So at that point, Oracle was the thing, right? You had to have Oracle in your, in your, in your, uh, in your enterprise. And you know, those reps were oftentimes were referred to as arrogant. What does that mean? Well, these are reps that would come in and tell you, <laughs> you know, what, mm -hmm. what you were facing, what the challenge was, what you wanted, what you should want. And the, the message was so powerful that the person listening couldn't ignore it, but they still resented it. And it created a barrier between that individual salesperson and the and the buyer. The salesperson could overcome it because they were selling for a brand that um, the client couldn't ignore. They were going to buy it anyway, regardless of the tactic of that individual salesperson. So it worked. Uh, for most of us, we don't have that luxury. So there's that there's that idea that you talked about, right? We don't want to. We don't want to. Um, uh, we don't want to create confusion. We also don't want to um, 
create defensiveness or position us as that arrogant, quote unquote, salesperson. Yeah. Well, and and you said a phrase there that I know doesn't reflect who you are because you said we don't have that luxury. And and I know that you don't actually mean like, oh, it would be luxurious <laughs> to be the only solution and walk in arrogant. What you're meaning is it would be luxurious to be the only solution. Yeah, it, that, be, that makes yeah. it simple. Yeah. yeah. And it would be luxurious to be lazy, right? I mean, don't we all <laughs> wish we could be lazy? Like, I mean, there's a there's an element of laziness in a parent who says, when their child says why, and the ch- and the parent says because I said so, you know, just leave me alone. I'm tired. But we, you know, we don't have that ability to just exert that dominant power. We are dealing with volunteers, and you have to step up and be thoughtful. Yeah. Well, and I think for me, the wins model, though, it, it, with parenting, to use that example, enough times of saying I'm tired. I don't you're going to create a big problem for yourself that's going to require a massive amount of time and energy. Rather, continual deposits of effective time and energy is the lazy way. I mean, there are people that I know that uh, I've, you know, have just interacted with different resources I've created or whatever and just been like, "You're, you're approaching so much with such intentionality. And I'm like, it's also extreme laziness. If I walk by my daughter's bedroom and check on her 50 times on a r- 50 nights in a row, that little bit keeps something from requiring a lot bit. Now, it is love that that is the overflow of that. But you get what I'm saying. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, this is the idea of the wins model, these little micro interactions that you learn to walk people through and pay attention to create this big, you know, wasted effort from happening or this big misunderstanding or this whatever. And, uh, you know, I think for people that might be listening to this and feel like, wow, okay, there's something to work at here. This is going to take some effort. Yeah. All of life is training you. So if you will apply this and learn this in sales at work, it's going to train you and make you even better for you were bringing this up, you know, earlier before the show, where to go out to eat as a family. Mm-hmm. You know, I know in speaking publicly, I can talk about like getting in the car with your partner or spouse or loved one and talking about where you're going to go eat. Like, I'm going to get laughs if I blow that story up big because that's so <laughs> freaking common to humanity. And, and it's this dance that happens that no one's actually leading people are reacting to and it's an unnecessary i'm just thinking about wasted time now but it's much more than that as you've already said yeah it's good stuff man so so when we're thinking about selling we're thinking about um understanding the buying center inside an organization and in sales a lot of times we talk about simple and complex sales you know in my mind a simple sale or a simple process has one individual um, who's going to, who's going to be, um, well, I'm going to be engaged in, engaged with throughout the buying cycle. Uh, a complex buying cycle is one that includes multiple people or a larger buying center. And, you know, when we were developing the wins model, the question really was, well, how do we, how do we understand and get our arms around the buying center so we can develop those individual relationships and move that buying center 
forward um, in a meaningful way, in a programmatic way to give me that, uh, that high level of predictability uh, in terms of understanding the outcome. Because of course, the more people involved, the more complex and the more potential unknowns that there are. And it just so happens that the WINS model uh, maps very nicely to uh, what we think of when we think of the buying center and the roles that people play in the buying center. So take me through those roles because that's the stuff where once we know that, right, we're out of that zone of uncertainty into step-by-step awareness. And with awareness, we're not the victims of (laughs) our enthusiasm, our eagerness, this arrogance that happens sometimes and we're the only solution. So where do you start yeah. somebody with their understanding on this? Yeah. Yeah. And we're also, we're also, so you say we're not victims. We're not excuse makers, right? Which mm. speaking as a sales leader for many, many organizations, um, you know, you want to understand, are you talking to salespeople who are giving you excuses or giving you reasons? And it's really uh, <laughs> a, a thin line. So let's talk about it. I mean, in the the easiest thing to do would be to just connect buying center roles back to the wins model. So wants, impacts, needs, solutions. And that's actually what we're able to do. What we're able to be thinking about is that the the individual inside the organization who decides what the organization wants, that's the decision maker. So it doesn't matter if you're selling paper clips to an office manager. If he is running the office and he decides that this is how this is one of the tools they're going to use to uh, connect papers together, then that individual is the decision maker in the context of that decision because they've decided uh, what the organization wants. We want a way to connect pa- paper together that does not disrupt or destroy the paper, <laughs> easy on easy of all that stuff, whatever it might be. But that that office manager, it could be the division manager, could be the business unit owner, could be the CFO, could be the CEO. It's not title centric. It's simply the person who has decided that change is important. And they've answered the question, why change? Because this is what I want for the organization, or this is what we want as an organization. So whoever the person is that that controls that decision to change and decides what that organization wants, that's the decision maker that we're looking for. And, and, you know, I know that I've done this and I wish that I could put it to words better. I've naturally gravitated towards making sure not in a gross way, just an authentic way, as I respond to the circumstances and relationships around me, I am with the person, spending time with the person, connected to the person that's going to be that decision maker. Um, and I think that that one of the things the WINS model has brought light to for me was some things that I was doing right and I didn't necessarily know it. So I couldn't have intentionally replicated it uh, in that way. But yet I see so often, especially in my field and area, people aren't interacting with the decision maker. Um, there's often a mindset barrier there, right? Have right. you we're seen talking, this to be true too? Yeah. We're, we're talking to somebody who we're talking to the first person who's willing to talk to us. Yeah. <laughs> 
And the more we talk, the more we feel like this is, again, this is us responding and reacting. The more we feel like, ooh, they love me. They must want to talk to me. So the more they talk to me, the more I want to talk to them. And I lose sight of what my objective is, right? So we have to, as professional salespeople, really understand um, how this business will be architected or how this business will be won. And it's going to be several data points gathered from several people. And we have to quickly decide who is the person I'm talking to. So if I knock, if I'm going door to door, knocking on uh, the doors of residences and getting trying to get people to change their cable, right? Um, I might I might get somebody that answers the door that's really an avid watcher of cable and might love the show that I can provide to them, right? But that doesn't mean that that individual, because of their enthusiasm, is the person who ultimately cuts the check and decides what the budget is for the for the household and you know how easy or uneasy it's going to be, or if it's if the if the uh, cable's bundled or unbundled or whatever else. So there's a lot that goes into a decision to change, not just the experience, but more than that. So as as a well-trained and professional salesperson, I'm going to, yes, get my foot in the door, but then quickly mm-hmm. turn the enthusiasm from that person who answers the door into a introduction to the decision maker. Why? Because the person who is so enthusiastic about the change and can't make the change, they're going to introduce me to that decision maker because they want to facilitate the change. But they may never have had to do that before. So I, as a salesperson, have to say, look, I love the fact that you want this. Who inside also has to agree with you inside your home? (laughs) Great. Can I speak to her, please? Her is the key word. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) I I love that. well, I was joking with you earlier about like this recent trip we took and now having older daughters, two of which can drive, you know, it's like there's multiple bosses now, uh, <laughs> too, too funny, but no, this idea. And I mean that in a beautiful way. Don't read anything negative into it, please. Dear audience. Uh, what you're saying, this process gets you out of the mindset block that happens so often which is where you're engaging the process for your validation. People want to go home and feel good. They want to feel, you know, they want to feel good about the work day that people listen to me talk and my ideas mattered and I helped somebody and I had meaning. And if we're not even aware of how much that narrative starts circling around in us, we're making the experience about our validation, right? Right. Rather than actually... And this question rescues you from that. Who else? Who hmm. else? Right. Who else? Right, right, right. And you that. only ask that question if you know what you're after. You need, we refer to it as the buying center anatomy. You need to build the anatomy of the buying center. And so you've got that wants buyer. They are the decision maker. They answer the question, why change? By deciding what the organization wants. Why the word anatomy there? Just curious. Well, the anatomy. Think about your anatomy. There are pieces, parts. You have to identify those pieces and parts and put them all in the right place to to actually have a functioning system. Gotcha. And so that's what we want here. Uh, And for anybody listening who wants to see what that anatomy might look like, I'm happy to send a worksheet if you'd like to just reach out to us. But it's it is a it is a complex kind of vision of the anatomy, and the reason it's complex is because you want to understand all the all the uh, potential variables 
and identify and make sure there's no gaps as you think about where you stand uh, with your buying center, because that's going to dictate where you stand in terms of whether you're going to win or lose and, and how well your prediction of success, your forecast to your boss is going to hold true. I, I love it, but I am suppressing a lot of jokes. I'm just confessing that now. <laughs> well, look, let's let's so let's keep rocking there. So we've got <laughs> so we've got the wants buyer, right? Decision maker. Then we have the impact buyer. So the impacts buyer is the person who can answer the question, why now? They're the person who is responsible for the calculation of the business case, the business case that says the impact of success, failure, or doing nothing is too great to ignore. So yes, I'm glad you want to make this change, but the impact buyer is going to determine the priority of that change based on the impact that's calculated. And that impact could be economic, it could be strategic, it could be personal, it could be all three. Uh, And this is really the most difficult part of the process, especially in a distributed buying center. You know, who who is the individual or who are the individuals who are going to create that calculus that the buying center will will, um, organize themselves around? Well, and and would you would this statement be true? The more complicated this can be, and totally makes sense. Like how many decision makers are here? How are they figuring out the value? The more complicated this is, the more potential to add value. The more potential to you know increase the scope of the vision that people get for the impact you can deliver. Yes, that's a great, great point. The more people involved, the more um, the more impact that's at stake, the more stakeholders. All of those things will uh, be things that the the economic approver, this impact buyer, has to be thinking about, and or doesn't have to be thinking about if, from your perspective, it's getting too complicated, and maybe it's getting so complicated that that we're going to put them in a position where they can't make a decision. So maybe we have to simplify it and phase it out and create a first simple decision that gets us in the door, starts the process and allows us to expand into a phase three, phase four, phase five, phase five. So we, as the salesperson, again, as the leader, right? Practicing sales as a leadership competency, we have to leverage our experience and also leverage um, uh, what we think to be reasonable to help us dictate how we approach um, how we approach the the challenge in front of us and and we have control over the scope at the, at this point is it getting too complicated are there too many moving parts do we need to simplify it so that we can get to a quick decision that's something to be, that's something to consider is that for me uh, that's been intuitive and then so help me shine a light on this and see if there's something I can do to make it more conscious. But you get into it, and yeah, it starts to get big and complicated, and you can start to see, uh, you know, momentum getting lost in that deal. So then, it's a feeling that I'm paying attention to, reading an email line, paying attention to body language, and then I'm pulling that back to a a step. Um, and there are other times, you know, you you do you jump in with somebody, and you're doing phase one through three as a part of the first thing. What for you is the guiding reference point there on how to know when to pull it back? 
to a simpler, like smaller phase engagement. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's, I automatically defer to what would I do in this situation? You know, there's a lot of times when a salesperson will come back from a, from a, from a meeting and I'll ask them, okay, great. So where do we stand? And they say, I don't know. And they, and they, of course, give me lots of things like, well, we spent lots of time together and I'll say, okay, what does that mean? I don't know. Well, if you don't know then the client doesn't know, right? You had a great, you may have had a great conversation, but neither of you know where the hell you are in the process or how much closer you are to a decision. So the, the best, the best met, measure of where you stand is your own sense of clarity. If you lack clarity, they lack clarity. Hmm. And you know, what we've got to, what you've got to do is you've got to, you've got to consistently or continuously ask yourself, if I were them, would I be able to make a buying decision? And if so, what are those components that I'm considering that we haven't talked about yet? Or that I'm considering that they don't that that I'm not sure if whether they are or n- are not considering, mm-hmm. you know. So just put yourself in their position. Could you make the decision easily? Couldn't you? If not, they're probably in the same situation. It's your job now to figure out how to how to earn the right to walk them down that part of the path. Do unto others. Love it. That's awesome. Yeah. So we got wants. We got impacts. Needs. Yeah. Wants buyer is the decision maker. Impact buyer is the economic approver. Uh, needs buyer are users and adopters. So these are the folks that um, are uh, are the ones that we most often talk to. My analogy earlier, the TV watcher, me, sure. I need ESPN, right? So I'll, I'm, the, I'm the user of the cable service. Well, who's the economic approver and who's the decision maker? It may not be me, right? Um, so people that sell technology, people that sell design services, most of us, when we are contacted by a buyer, we're contacted by the user or adopter, the person who's experiencing the the greatest amount of situational pain because they're they're trying to use something or put something to work that isn't working for them. And so they go out to the internet to search something. Mm. This is also to your point, Chris, where we can waste a ton of time because they can tell us all day long why they have to have the solution that you provide, but they have no path to actually a buying decision because they don't know the criteria of the economic approver. They don't know if this is something the organization is willing to commit to, time and money to. And unless you can uh, navigate the buying cycle and understand all the players in the, in the buying center, you are going to be just as lost as your user or adopter. Dude, this hits home because <clears throat> the times that I've the times that I've walked away from things and 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 I understand you can take lessons from everything. It's not wasted time or whatever, but like I don't want that to happen again. It's because there was a connection or engagement to a user or adopter that didn't get to the impact or the want uh buyer. And uh, you know. A lot of my deepening awareness and my excitement to, you know, help get this content and share it with more people is just questions you were asking me. And I would be like, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Because what happened? Most of what's happened for me has been relational and, and, and intuitive and organic with the founder or owner. That's been great. 
But because right. of that, I didn't realize what I was missing as I had this, you know, need buyer. Yeah. Yeah. And, and as organizations grow, um, the, the number of types of buyers that they run into becomes more diverse. So as our businesses are small, let's say under 510 million bucks, you know, it may be easier for us to grow to that size with a very limited experience in terms of the numbers of and different types of buyers that we run into as we scale our marketing and as we scale our sales team and we grow into other segments, we're going to experience a greater diversity in the types of buying cycles that we encounter, which can often mean that our sales force isn't prepared and actually win rates, close rates decline significantly just because they're not prepared for what that, um, what that growth means to them. Uh, and yeah. a great example is the solutions buyer, who mm -hmm. we call the evaluator. Uh, a lot of SaaS software companies, a lot of um, a lot of companies that buyers will buy. You know, they they want to. They are going out to the market looking to buy this stuff, like CRM, like accounting services, like whatever they already have budgeted. Right, they're going to go look for a product and maybe compare it against two or three other competitors. Oftentimes, if you sell into an RFP or an RFQ type situation, you're going to run into that, uh, you know, that um, dog and pony show, right? That comparison purchase. These evaluators are the farthest away that you can get from the decision maker. These are the folks who are going to kind of put these people together, uh, coalesce some kind of like buying criteria and then evaluate you and you know mm. to participate in this part of the process puts you at the most risk for losing that deal because you're the farthest away from the people who really matter so uh, what we oftentimes instruct our clients to do and help them think about is how do you disrupt that kind of a buying cycle so that you can move you can create enough uncertainty in the mind of that evaluator that you get actually get their permission and actually get their encouragement to interview the users and adopters, the economic approver and the decision maker to make sure that the way that they've architected their evaluation is going to deliver the outcomes that they expect. The outcome that every individual in that buying center, their reputation is dependent upon. Yeah. So I'm like edge of my seat. That's everything to disrupt that. I want to know that maybe that's like the closing blow here because does TV and movies do TV and movies not glorify selling in the solutions piece, right? Right, right. That like all of the heat of the moment when you look at a dramatized TV or movie moment, it, it's all about the pitch and you're competing <laughs> against other pitches and it's a solutions selling. And so it's so it's three stages. So remove from the the one. How do you disrupt it? Right, right. Well, that's that's a great topic for maybe next time. Oh, uh, but I'll tell you what, brother, you are, you are, you are, you can't disrupt unless you have that focus in mind. So you have to be able to recognize very quickly when you start talking to somebody, which role are they playing? Um, in your case, Chris, you're used to dealing with a CEO who will play all four roles. They will be the decision maker, the economic approver. They'll be the user adopter and they will be the evaluator. So you've got a simple selling cycle 
where all four roles are played by one person. Now, of course, less simple is all four roles are played by two people. The, the idea is that all four roles are represented in every buying center you deal with, whether it's one person or 25 or 30 people. Mm. You've got a, everybody that you meet, you have to understand which role they're playing and treat them accordingly. And a little preview into the next conversation, you've got to be able to ask the right people the right questions at the right time. And if you can do that, you can understand where you are and you can provide the disruption that you're looking for. Man. I'm I'm ready. No hype here. <laughs> let's let's get to that. Hmm. Until next time. Yeah, baby. Thanks for listening. If you've learned something or were inspired to try something new, please rate the podcast and share this episode with someone you know. If you'd like to learn more, visit and connect with me, James, at floristgroup.com, F-L-O-R-I-S-S group.com. And if you want to connect with me, Chris, check out SightShift, S-I-G-H-T, shift.com. Peace.